We are in Philippians. Big shocker there, right? Chapter four. We're looking at verses one through three. Philippians chapter four, verses one through three. So this text is an awkward text. It's a text that some people take and put with the previous passage, that some separate, and that some take and put with the next passage. It kind of bridges what has taken place to what's going to take place. It begins with a therefore, which means that it's gonna link in everything that we've just talked about in chapter three. And yet there's a transition that's an awkward transition where Paul is actually gonna name two people Now think about this. Don't miss this as we look at this text and read through this text here in just a moment. This letter would have been read out loud to the congregation. So how many of you would like it if I were to stand up here and decide I'm going to read a letter and all of a sudden your names appear in the letter? Whoa, time out. I'm a preacher's kid. I remember one service... I was chewing gum and it looked like I was talking and my, my dad, there were services where I was talking, so I'm not mad at my dad for this, but uh, he called me down. He actually read my name into the middle of whatever uh, the text it was he was reading, called me down. And I remember at that moment, beat red, sweat beads about this big falling off of my forehead, absolutely, completely embarrassed. That's how I see these people when their names are called in this letter. This is a big deal. And this is how important it is for Paul to talk about unity. So don't miss this when we read this text. What's our main idea of the text? Our main idea is gonna be that we should, in Christ, we should stand firm in unity. In Christ, we should stand firm in unity. Now those both pieces are important because you're gonna see a command here. The command's gonna be stand firm thus in the Lord. And so we are commanded to stand firm We are also commanded then later, he's commanding these two ladies to be unified. And so we are commanded to be as unified as possible. Now, the way this fits together, don't misread this to to be unity at the sake of compromise because he has just told us to stand firm. He's not addressing a theological problem as much as he's addressing some problem between these two ladies. Uh, They're just not getting along. They're not working well together. We get this. We have these problems in every area of our lives, in relationships where you just don't get along well with somebody or something happens and it strains the relationship. And what he's saying here is the gospel is more important. So in Christ, we are to stand firm and we are to agree and to get along together as much as we possibly can in the Lord. So you've got two points. We only have three verses. The first point is going to be stand firm in the Lord from verse 1. We'll walk through these. The second point is going to be agree in the Lord from verses 2 and 3. So that's our outline for today. All right. Now we're back. So we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Dear Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that your name would be glorified. 
I pray that you would help me to be tied to the text, to say only things that are pleasing to you, that we would listen, that your spirit would convict us, that, Lord, you would help us to have courage to stand firm in you, that, Lord, you would help us to agree with one another as much as is possible in the Lord for the unity of the gospel. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Point number one, stand firm in the Lord. Look at verse one with me. In verse one, he starts with therefore. So think back, chapter three, what did we talk about? We talked about how the flesh was worthless. Paul listed all seven of those characteristics that, that he had, that he could boast in the flesh. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't boast in the flesh. He told us that he had not already attained, but what he was doing was he was striving forward. And so he was forgetting what was behind. He was pressing on. He was leaning into. He was working hard for what was, to, was, was ahead. He told us he had counted all things as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. He came to the end of that section there in chapter three as we know it. And he says, I've told you often, I tell you now, even with tears, weeping, heartbroken, there are enemies of the cross of Christ who God is their belly, whose end is destruction, who glory in their shame. There are enemies out there. He says, but contrast that, those enemies out there, enemies of the cross of Christ, they're in destruction, but our citizenship is from heaven. And it's from heaven that we await a glorious savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who the savior is. He's coming. So because our citizenship is in heaven, we have an eternal perspective at how we look at everything. And then he says that that savior that's coming has the power to transform these lowly bodies, to transform all that is wrong with this culture. And he has the power to subject everything to himself. So he has written to the Roman colony in Philippi and he has said to Philippi, a colony of Rome, we are actually citizens of heaven and we take our orders from heaven and we have a savior that's coming from heaven and he has all the power. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar is not the savior. Jesus Christ is the savior. And now he's gonna come and he's gonna say, therefore. So here's our application. Do you believe they're enemies of the cross of Christ? Yes, Look at our society. Do you believe that we are citizens of heaven? Do you believe that there is a savior that is coming that has the power to transform us and to subject all things to himself? Oh, if we believe in Jesus, then here's our action. Therefore, he gives us five words of endearment. I, I don't know why. He doesn't tell us, but it, it kind of appears he's laying it on thick right here. Let's look at the five words. Therefore, my brothers, brothers and sisters, we're unified in Christ. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. So he's setting it up. Brothers, I love you. I long for you. My joy. Now, Paul uses the word joy throughout this book, but this is one of the only few times, maybe the only time, he uses the word joy to talk about it being his joy rather than joy in the Lord. And he's saying to them, you, the Philippians, you are my joy and my crown. I'm gonna receive a crown for the work of the gospel that's taking place in your life. And so you are my joy and my crown. And then at the end of this verse, he says, my beloved, you get five different ways that Paul is saying to them, I love you, I care for you, I care deeply for you. 
And then he's gonna give them a command sandwiched in the middle of this. And so I can only think that the way he's presenting this is he's saying to them, I care so deeply about you that this is what I want to stick in your minds. This is what I want you to grab a hold of. This is my heartbeat, my concern, and my passion for all of you. And what is it? Stand firm is your command. Thus, in the Lord, there's your how. Oh, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we don't hate those enemies. We hate the ruler and the principalities of this world. We hate Satan. We hate the devil. We hate all that he does to destroy. But those enemies are enemies that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for. They have a different worldview. They have different presuppositions. But we have the good news of the gospel that can transform their life just like God transformed our lives. And so we don't hate them, but they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. We cry for them. We say it even with tears. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They have their minds set on these earthly things. But our citizenship's in heaven. So as we fight against those things and the other worldviews that take place in our culture, Paul says to us, stand firm. So here's how I translate that to our context. It's my desire It's my prayer for all of you, our administration's prayer, our faculty and staff's prayer, those who love you students, those who work with you, that when you leave this place, even as you're at this place, that you stand firm for the gospel. You stand firm for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You stand firm for what is in this book that God has revealed to us. You stand firm for your theology. And as I think about what's coming and what's happening, and as I think about what we see in society with the worldviews warring against one another, I want you to be prepared. I want you to understand what the word says. I want you to be in the word daily. I want you to be connected to a local church that's feeding your soul. I want you to be surrounded by friends for life that are pouring into you. I want you to be equipped and ready to stand firm for the rest of your life for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And one day we will stand before our savior. And the best thing you can do in this life is stand firm for eternity, for the gospel, for the savior, wherever he calls you, whatever you do, be prepared, be ready to stand firm for your faith in the Lord. You can't do this by yourself. If you don't have a walk with the Lord, if you're not in the word, if you're not plugged into a good local church, I fear you're not gonna be able to stand firm in the Lord. And so I I urge you as an application walking away from this passage to say, I have to take the steps now to make sure I can fulfill this command from Paul to stand firm in the Lord. I've got to develop all of these good habits. I've got to meditate on scripture, memorize scripture, internalize all this. I need to learn theology. I need to be able to defend my faith. I need to understand different ways of viewing the world and why presuppositions of one side are wrong and presuppositions of the other side are right. I need to make sure that I can go out into this world equipped with friends and family and church people so that I can stand firm. That's my prayer for you. Stand firm in your faith. This reminds us of, a, of another passage in Philippians. Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Now you're writing a letter. This letter is not separated by semesters as we have preached through it. It's being read. 
So as you hear this stand firm, you're immediately going to think, oh, he said something about this previously. So what did he say? Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Only let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see or whether I'm absent, I may hear. I may hear that you are standing firm. Hear the words? All right, so if, you're, if you got your Bibles there and you write it on them, you can circle that, star that, draw a connection to that. Wait a second. There's something going on here. Standing firm in one spirit. Oh, wait a second. There's some unity coming in a minute here. Look at what he's doing in chapter one. Stand firm in one spirit, foreshadowing what's going to happen here with Yodia and Syntyche. And he's saying you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And look at what he does at the end of this. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. What opponents? Oh, chapter three, enemies of the cross of Christ. So we're not to be frightened by the enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't sit here in despair saying, woe is us, things are not going our way. We actually say, we have a savior and he's coming and he's gonna change it all and you can't do anything about it. And we don't have fear of the enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't fear the opposition because that's a sign to them of their destruction and a sign of our salvation. If we have faith, we don't despair about the the culture or the society, we look for the coming Savior. The war's over. We won. We're just between that already and not yet time. So, stand firm. See what Paul's doing here? It's brilliant. All right, moving on. Point number two. Agree in the Lord. I would hate to be Yodia. It's a weird name, but I, I would, for other reasons. <laughs> Notice what he does here. Let's walk through it. Paul says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. All right, so this is not, this is wordy. Why does he say entreat before both names? I don't know. Maybe he's just wanting to show he's not taking sides. Maybe it could have been read if he just entreated one of them. Hey, you're the one at fault here. You need to go and initiate reconciliation. So it's I entreat both of you. I entreat both of you on both sides of this. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche to agree. But to agree what? In the Lord. So it's almost like he's saying the gospel is more important than whatever it is that divides you. Now we have to be careful here. Because we can't say that, we can't take that and run off the cliff with it. We can't take it to its, to its end. We can't take it as, as a fallacy and, and let the slippery slope take us all the way to the end. We can't say we have to agree with people whose theology say things that are wrong and against the Bible. We just can't say that. We can't say that those who say Christ is a, is a moral example to us and the gospel is all social and that there is no substitution in the atonement and that salvation is by works. We can't agree with them in the Lord. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory alone. And so there are some things we have to say, no, 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 that doesn't work. But in every way that we can, he's saying to us, let's agree in the Lord. Now, I really wish he had told us what it was. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the paint on the walls. I don't like the fact that you have to wear a mask. I don't like the fact you don't have to wear a mask. I don't like, pick your words. You were selfish to me. You were mean to me. You didn't sit with me at lunch. 
You like the same guy I like. You like the same girl I like. I don't, I don't know what it is. You don't ever want to go to Chick-fil-A with me. You eat tossed. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I like tossed. I'm not, actually, I don't. I just eat Chick-fil-A. But I'm, if you like tossed, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, I'm going to go get a milkshake at some point this week. <laughs> Talked about that yesterday. All right. I don't even know where I am now. I wish he had told us what it was. But if he had told us what it was, you know what we would do? Oh, but he's not talking about me. He's just talking about agreeing in that situation. That situation's not my situation. I don't have to agree in the Lord. They have to agree in the Lord. Isn't that what we would do? That's what I would do. Oh, he's not addressing me. But he doesn't tell us. He's just saying agree in the Lord. So then he goes on here. He says, yes, and I ask you also, true companion. Who's the true companion? Come on, Paul. You're not telling us the whole story here. What did they do? Who's the true companion? We don't know. People have hypothesized that this is actually a proper name. Some have said, oh, this is Luke. We really don't have a clue who it is. It's a true companion. So he's saying to them, Yodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord. If they can't agree in the Lord, this is being read to everybody, by the way. True companion. Surely the, those in Philippi knew who the true companion was. Well, boy, he just got called out or she just got called out, right? True companion. It's your job to make them agree in the Lord. That's not what it says. But it says true companion, help these women. Help is a strong word here. Help really doesn't translate the sense of what this word is in the Greek because this word is seize. This word is used when Jesus was arrested in the garden. Seize him. Help. You get the urgency now? Help these women. There's a problem here because the personal disunity is hurting gospel unity. The personal squabbles that we have over things that might not matter that much is hurting the unity of the gospel that we need to push the gospel forward that does matter that much. So quit messing with the small stuff. I don't mean the big stuff. I don't mean theological differences that are significant, but I mean the small stuff. Agree in the Lord. True companion helped these women. These women get a commendation here. They have labored side by side with me in the gospel. An indication of gladiators going together side by side. These are gladiators for the gospel that have labored alongside Paul. They are prominent women in the church at Philippi or he never would have mentioned it. It's probably not a theological issue or he would have called them out on it. And he knows they can take it. Have you, ever, have you ever treated somebody or been treated a little bit more harsh because they knew you could handle it? Maybe it was a coach and they were pushing you harder than they were pushing everybody else because they thought you've got more ability, you can handle it. Maybe it was a parent or a teacher calling you out because you had more ability and you could handle it. You weren't working as hard as you could. You weren't doing everything. And here he calls them out because they can handle it, I assume. Yodi and Syntyche agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. We don't know who Clement is either. Paul just made this passage hard, but we don't know who Clement is. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here, when we look at the book of life, we understand that that's mentioned all throughout scripture in different ways. So it's mentioned in Daniel 12, 1. It's mentioned in Revelation 21, 7, that on the day of judgment, there's gonna be a book of life. And so what he's doing is he's saying, these are fellow believers. He's already said brothers, but he's saying their names are in the book of life. They have labored side by side with me in the gospel. 
That's what he's getting to. So we move to application of this passage for us. I have three points for you to write down and consider. Sinfulness and selfishness destroys relationships. All right, now here's the key to why I put this up there. Sinfulness and selfishness destroys relationships. I'll let you get it down. All right, if you write in your Bibles, if you're taking notes, verse 2, agree. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. And then in chapter 2, when Paul says, have this mind, circle it, underline it, highlight it. Because what is actually happening here in the original languages, in the original Greek, is that it's the same phrase. So what Paul has actually done is not just point us back to chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, but he has now told Yodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord, which flashes us back to Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us if there's, if there's any consolation in the spirit, if there's any comfort, if there's any joy, if there's any fellowship, then, then have the same mind, complete my joy by having the same mind, having that mind that is like Christ, looking out for the interest of others, not just the interest of yourself, the mind of the Lord who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He made himself in the form of a human. He came as a servant and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. This mind that is fleshed out in chapter two is now mentioned again here in chapter four. So how is it that we deal with relationship issues? We have the mind that Christ had where we're considering others before we're considering ourselves. We're looking out for their interests before we're looking out for our own interests and we are understanding that the gospel is ultimately the supreme thing. Now this is hard and we don't do it very often. But when we apply the mind of Christ to our relationships, think about how that's going to transform those relationships. That means I can't be selfish. That means I can't be self-centered. That means my sinfulness is not going to go forward. It means that what we're going to have is a genuine, authentic Christian community where I'm considering others before I'm considering myself, where I'm loving others well, where I'm treating others well, where I don't have cliques that exclude others instead of having cliques that exclude others because they're not cool enough or they don't look like us or they're not athletic enough or they're not smart enough or whatever the case may be. I look out at the person that might be excluded and the person that might not have all of the attributes I look for in my friend group and I say, wait a second, if I'm considering their interests before my own, I would love to have friends that love me and pray for me and care for me and speak good words into my life. I would love to have friends that demonstrate the love of Christ in my life. You come join us. Our clique is never big enough. We don't do cliques anymore. We have genuine Christian community. Now that's hard because we don't always have everything in common with some people. Agree in the Lord. So how do you apply this to your life? I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit do that. Sinfulness and selfishness will destroy relationships. Number two, where possible, initiate reconciliation. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche, both of you. Get it together. How, how easy is it to reconcile when you go to somebody and you're about to tell them you need to apologize, to hear them say, hey, I need to apologize to you? How easy is it when you go to somebody with that type humility and instead of them looking at you and going, yeah, yeah, you were horrible, you need to apologize to me, that's right. And then you're like, 
take you out. <laughs> and so I need to apologize. Yeah, I need to apologize too. Philippians 2, the mind, agree in the Lord. Oh, it's hard. But think about how this will revolutionize your relationships with other people. Finally, number three. Last point of application for you. My beloved students, faculty and staff whom I love dearly, Cedarville family, those watching online, stand firm in the Lord. The challenges aren't just coming for you in the future. The challenges are going to come for us as well. Because we believe this book. And we are going to stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. By his grace and for his glory. Just a couple weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal, op-ed written, said any school that believed in creation couldn't teach science. Couldn't teach science. Shouldn't be accredited to teach science. Sure, they could do some other things, but not science. No, no, no. You, you can't accredit their degrees. You can't actually let them go to graduate school because they haven't been taught. Because we believe what the Bible says, that in the beginning, God created. I'm here to tell you, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that something came out of nothing and all of the other presuppositions that go along with evolution than it does to believe that there's a God that works miracles, that created everything out of nothing, that came to this earth and went to a grave and got up out three days later and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming again. There are presuppositions of worldviews that are at war. And those presuppositions of secular humanism and a biblical worldview are going to be at war with one another from this point forward. And we don't hate the people that hold those presuppositions, but there's nothing wrong with us calling out those presuppositions and saying, we understand the difference here. We understand how you land at your spot because you are not operating with a consistent biblical worldview. And here's what that looks like. Prepare well. Build great friendships. Make sure you're plugged into a local church. Now and when you leave, make sure you are plugged into a good local church. You notice in this text, Yodi and Syntyche, if they can't get together, true companion. Help them. Clement, all the rest, help them. What does that mean? Sometimes we struggle and we can't get our act together. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't get over that. And the church comes around us and they say to us, wait a second, you can get over this. And here's how we're going to walk through this. And we're going to listen to you. And we're going to help come alongside and partner with you to get us past this. Because the gospel is bigger than the little petty things that distract us. So, main idea of our text today. In Christ, we should stand firm in unity. So last application point for us all. We're moving into a season with COVID and all that we're doing. Zero cases for 11 days. We're opening a few things up. People are being vaccinated. At the second aspect of vaccination, it, there's, gonna be some, there's gonna be some moments in this where we're gonna have some things that you're gonna say that doesn't make any sense. I've been vaccinated, why do I have to wear a mask? I've, I've had COVID, why do I have to wear a mask? Some are gonna say, everybody needs to wear a mask. Do it for other people. Can, can I just say to you, it's gonna be really hard over the course of the next month or two 
maybe even towards the fall. I don't know. I, I think we're going to be back to 2019 normal in the fall. That's my prayer. You can pray with me on that. But it's going to be hard over the course of the next month or two to figure out exactly what we can do, what we can't do. Where's the line? How do we do this with wisdom? How do we navigate this? And we want to make sure we navigate it well and be successful. So, so let's take part of this application and say in little silly things, in little things, and I call it silly. I'm not calling COVID-19 silly. I'm just saying in the little rules and things, let's make sure that we are wise to understand that we can stand firm in unity for the gospel. And we can look at somebody that completely disagrees with us and we can say, brother or sister, I think you're an idiot, but I love you. I think you're wrong on this issue, but I love you and I don't care that you're wrong on this issue. We can disagree and we can still be friends and we can walk forward in unity for the sake of the gospel. Can we do our best to try to do that? I don't know if that's a yes or a no. Can we do our best to try to do that? All right, one more time. We're going to get everybody else on board. This is called positive peer pressure. Can, can we do our best to try to do that? All right. We're going to do everything we can to finish the semester strong face-to-face, -face, standing firm in the Lord. And standing firm in unity in the Lord. Dear God, you have been faithful. You are great and you are glorious and worthy of our praise. And we thank you that we can be back here. Lord, we thank you that we see light at the end of the tunnel for this virus. We thank you that you gave people wisdom to be able to create vaccines. Lord, we thank you for all the good things you have given to us, even in the midst of this past year. We don't, we don't overlook the lessons that you have taught us, the things that we have learned. And Lord, together, we want to stand firm in unity for you now and forevermore for all of our days on this earth. Lord, we want to be united for the sake of the gospel. So help us to do that. Give us wisdom from above. Lord, may your spirit allow us to think about the things we need to do well those we need to forgive, where we need to repent, that we can be unified going forward for the gospel. God, I thank you today that we could join here together in Jeremiah Chapel to worship you. We praise you, for you are a great, glorious, merciful Savior, the one that we await eagerly, who will transform us in this world to what it was meant to be. May your name be lifted high. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.